Um, <clears throat> so this series has been a lot about being out of your comfort zone. So like, that's my comfort zone. This is not my comfort zone. So here we are. And I would also like to say that he makes this look so easy. <laughs> Even living with him during the week, it's like no big deal. He just like pumps out these sermons, gets up here like it's not a big deal. It's a big deal, and it's a lot of work. <laughs> so just so you know, <laughs> I feel like my whole life was like the sermon. Um, so when Kyle asked me to, to do this, I immediately thought about missions. So thank you, mission team, for kind of opening that door. And even Joey's prayer, the Lord, I feel like, is just kind of bringing everything together this morning, which is really cool. Um, so missions are being a missionary, in my mind, is kind of three basic components. Um, it's going to a place you're not from to tell people about Jesus because God has called you. So you go, you're kind of sent by God, and you're telling people about Jesus. Um, I was also thinking about, for me, most of my life, I have not lived, like, where I'm from, which I know sounds weird. Um, before the age of six, I lived in two states, uh, five, five houses and four different towns. So finally, at the age of six, my dad is kind of like a traveler adventure type, and my mom was like, enough, I'm not moving again. And actually, they didn't until they retired uh, just a couple years ago. Um, so, and then the town that I grew up in, I grew up in a town about 700 people in the middle of nowhere in South Dakota. Like, you, you, I know that some of you who live in Southington think you live in the middle of nowhere, but, like, you don't understand. I mean, like, 80 miles from a McDonald's, like, a Walmart, a mall. So, the middle of nowhere. Um, and pretty much everyone in that town was related. There were four or five families. Everyone was related. We were not. So, I've spent a lot of my life kind of having to learn culture, to learn, like, relationship skills in, in other places, I mean, I think it's for that reason that I've always really loved the writings of Paul. Um, and the Apostle Paul spent most of his life traveling throughout, like, the whole world, like, what they knew of at that time. Um, his life is kind of broken up into, like, his missionary trips. So there's, I think, five of them that he took throughout um, the, basically the Middle East. Um, and his whole life was dedicated to telling all people about Jesus, making sure that everyone knew about him. And, and like I said, one of the key principles to missions work is understanding the culture you're in. So... For me, living in the 330 is something I've had to learn. Most of you have lived here pretty much your whole lives. There's a few of you. I know Sam's kind of a transplant, kind of from PA. Um, but most of you have lived here. And so I've had to learn about things like, you all call them cream sticks, which I think is weird, because I grew up calling them long johns, which Kyle thinks is weird. So, you know, there's that. Um, I had to learn that it's Vienna instead of Vienna. Um, I've had to learn about... Um, industry and factories and unions instead of tractors and cattle and crop reports, because that's what I grew up with. I know we have some friends back here who are more on the farm side. Um, and best of all, I've had to learn about hot peppers and cavatelli versus like I grew up eating strudel and kugan and nifla, which are all like basically dough dishes that are German-Russian. <laughs> just, just think like bread and dough. <laughs> Delicious, but you know, not healthy. Um, but the reality for all of us is time in erodes awareness of. So I kind of joke about this because I have a hard time with like the geography around here, which is the first, I think it's because I moved here married to someone from here and before I've always had to find my own way. So I always kind of got like the lay of the land. Like I can't tell the difference between Ravenna and Vienna and like where they are. Like I'll be like, oh, isn't that by? And Cal's like, no, like they're 30 minutes apart. Um, and so, but here's the problem. We've lived here for four years and I still like don't know the difference. So we become we become unaware of the things around us because we get so used to them. And honestly, we start to assume that we kind of already know how the story's gonna end. Some of you experience this more with family members. So I don't know if there was someone in my family growing up who was pretty forgetful. And so kind of the like, 
story about his life was like, oh, he's so forgetful. Like, he's always going to forget. Like, I hope he remembers to show up for his wedding, or I hope he remembers to show up for his funeral. Like, he's so forgetful. And we kind of just assume that we know how the situation's going to end or how that person's always going to respond. The problem with that is it doesn't give them any room to grow, and we have no hope for anything to be different. And we don't give them the opportunity to be different because we're already saying, this is how it's going to be. And I think that can especially happen here in our community. Like, we feel like we know the story. Like, we know the drug addiction. We know the lack of jobs. We know how everybody wants to live in, like, Columbus or Chicago or anywhere but here. Um, and so I think we feel like we already know. And I think what's interesting about that, then, is we don't have the hope we need to have. So Kyle and I were at a funeral this summer, and um, we were at the funeral dinner, and we sat, we didn't know a lot of people there, so we kind of sat at a back table, and Kyle saved the seat next to him for a friend who was coming so that we could talk with him, and a really lovely older gentleman sat down next to me, and um, we chatted for a little bit about like how we were connected with the family and why, why we were there, and I kind of all of a sudden realized like this probably isn't going to go very well, because he starts telling me and wanting to talk about things that, well, first of all, I was born in 1980, so most of these things had happened, I'm guessing, a good deal before that. So first problem. Second problem, people in places I didn't know and places I had never been. And so he keeps chatting. He's, ta he's talking about, like, the living room in Niles. How many of you know what the living room is? I'm just curious. Okay, yeah, see, there's an age difference, perhaps. Um, just, just to make a point, thanks for, thanks for, being, thanks for being brave. Um, and the only reason I knew about it was because of a funeral Kyle had done and someone had been like a regular attender there. So, you know, he's talking about Niles and 422 in the living room and how it was the place to be on a Saturday night. And I'm kind of like, yeah, it's a place I don't want to be on a Saturday night. There's <laughs> a lot of potholes, a lot of interesting things happening. Um, so, so I realized pretty quickly this was going to be disappointing to him. Thankfully, some other people sat down and they were able to talk about like their school and their families and how they all like, and again, years way, way before my life. But here, here's why I tell that story and why I think the Lord kind of brought it to mind is, was it my fault that I didn't know what he was talking about? Like, whose fault was it that as he talked about these people and places that were so important to him, and he was genuinely a lovely person, was it my fault that I couldn't connect with him and I didn't know those things, that I literally had, like, no category to even understand? Here's my problem with um, people who have been in church for a long time, or for those of us who consider ourselves the people of Jesus. The longer we're in church the more we're unaware of what other people don't know. And so when we try to connect with them, we talk about people in places that they literally have no idea about. And it used to be that you could kind of assume that, right? Like, everybody kind of went to church. Everybody at least knew John 3.16. Um, and, and for me, even this has happened a, a couple, a few years ago we, when we were still at First Church. I'm standing in church next to a woman who had been in recovery for a couple years. She, in that time, had gotten married, um, gotten, come to know Jesus, gotten baptized, was in church regularly. Someone up front says something about Billy Graham. How many of you in here know Billy Graham? Who's going to be brave enough to raise their hands? Okay, a few more hands, but still some people, not sure. No shame. So she leans over to me and says, who's Billy Graham? Now, I wish I could say I answered this in like a really like, you know, pastor's super wife kind of way. And I went, are you serious? <laughs> She's like, yeah. And as a side note, it is very hard to describe who Billy Graham is, but basically he's a guy who preached the gospel to like thousands of people in stadiums and on TV, and then people would come forward. But he's kind of the person that most people would use to describe other people, like, oh, he's like Billy Graham. But again, she didn't know, have any idea what they were talking about, something that I would even consider like cultural, like a cultural norm. Um, and so it really woke me up to the fact that like even I can't assume that. And finally, the moment that 
I think honestly was the most shocking to me was I was reading um, Real Simple Magazine, because I like it. Um, this was probably six years ago, and a woman was writing about how she and her kids were walking in New York City, and I think they were like six and eight at the time, and this was, like I said, five or six years ago, and they said to her, hey, mommy, what's that building? And she said, it's, she said and think it was a church. And then she just kind of said what I said, how do you explain a church to someone who doesn't know what a church is? Um, and I think for me, that was like, really shocking. That, and, and now you think those kids are teenagers. Like, they literally have no idea, like, what a church building is. And again, can we hold them on the hook for not knowing something they just don't know? And so I think, um, as I was thinking about this message and about the 330, I think we really just, I've learned that we just can't assume anymore. We can't assume that people know the things that we think that they know, or that they think the things that we think they should know, or at least be aware of. We're kind of starting from, like, ground zero. The best part of that is like Kyle talked about, that means that the gospel is good and news. So that's the hope. That's the, the, the great part of it. So today we're going to look at four passages written by Paul to see what we can learn about being a missionary. Um, and Paul teaches us that being a missionary means four things. We need to go courageously, we need to speak wisely, we need to live sacrificially, and we need to love deeply. So first we're going to talk about going courageously. If you're, um, if you're turning your Bibles, we're going to turn to Romans 10. And I think it will also be up on the screen, hopefully. Last time I had a clicker at the last church and it did not go well. So I'm pretty excited about Sid being back there. Thank you, Sid. I like, couldn't read and click and there was too many things, too many moving parts. Um, all right, Romans 10. Paul says, If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God. And it is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. As the scripture tells us, anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. Jew and Gentile are the same in this respect. They have the same Lord who gives generously to all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they've never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? This is why the scriptures say, how beautiful are the feet of messengers who bring good news. But not everyone welcomes the good news, for Isaiah the prophet says, Lord, who has believed our message? So faith comes from hearing, that is hearing the good news about Christ. So throughout this passage, it's basically like Paul like copied and pasted from Isaiah 28, 52, 53, and Joel 2. So he was like doing a lot of like borrowing, you know, it's cited, so it's not plagiarism, but you know. And it's even more impressive when you think he probably had this all memorized because of the kind of scholar that he was. Like this wasn't like he just could, you know, open Bible Gateway and do what I did. I'm like, oh, copy and paste, there it is. Um, but he's using God's own words from the Old Testament, which his Jewish readers would have recognized, to help them understand that the gospel is for everyone. So in Paul's day, a lot of the controversy was, is the gospel only for the Jewish people? Did Jesus only die for Jews like him, or did he die for all people? And so Paul was kind of constantly on this mantra of, like, Jesus died for all. The gospel is for everyone. Um, but it's not enough for his readers or for us just to know that the gospel is every, for everyone. It's important that we know the gospel is for everyone. But those Old Testament passages are all about the good news of God's redemption for people in captivity. And even last week we said that, like the people around us, we ourselves are in captivity to sin without Jesus. Um, so if we believe, like we said last week, that the gospel is good and news, then we have to go. And for some of us, that means moving across the country, which is what I did. For some people, it's like moving around the globe, like Art and Pam, who are usually here, have done. My brother and his family are in Southeast Asia. 
Um, but for most of us, for the majority of people, it means just going next door, or maybe like showing up at the family picnic, which for some of you might be harder than going to Southeast Asia, depending on your family and like what that's like. Um, last summer, Danny the intern preached a sermon on the tongue from the book of James, and he said a line that we've used a lot, which is, you might be the only Bible some people read. And so for those of you who think that like my life doesn't make a difference, that the things that I do, my daily schedule doesn't, I'm just kind of doing my thing. And honestly, I think um, as millennials and, and even my in 30s, I think it can feel sometimes like life is just so repetitive. Like all I do is get up, I go to work, I wash the clothes, I cook, I clean the dishes. And I think somehow when we were younger, it kind of felt like it's going to be exciting and sparkly every day. <laughs> and it's not. <laughs> um, and so I think that for us, it can feel so mundane and so unimportant and even boring sometimes. And the reality is that God has put you in those people's lives and in those people's paths so that you can share who Jesus is every single day. Maybe with words and maybe with actions, but either way, he's placed you there. And I think our problem sometimes when it comes to thinking about spiritual things is, we think of the world as a big game of tug of war. And we've got the people in the black shirts on this side, like the evil, mean people. And then we have the people in the white shirts with like their halos on this side. And, I, and then it feels like we're just tugging. Like we're trying, if we can just pull hard enough, or maybe if you're a more vocal person, if I can just yell loud enough or say the right thing, I can pull people over onto our side and we'll win. Like if we can just get more people on our side. But here's the reality. This passage says that we need beautiful feet to bring good news. So there is no tugging, there is no pulling, there is no yelling. It's a search and rescue mission. We're going, we're looking for people of peace. Kyle talked about this last week too. People of peace, people who you already sense God at work in their life, who, are, who have questions, who are curious about why you go to church, who wonder like, is the Bible really true? All of those questions that sometimes, quite frankly, can make us nervous, but those are signs that they're people of peace. And so we're the ones who are sent. There's no one else who's going to go. Like you're the one who sits beside them every day in the cubicle or teaches in the classroom beside them or eats lunch with them or goes to coffee with them. It's you. And so first of all, we need to go courageously. Second of all, we need to speak wisely. In Colossians 4, verses 2 through 6, which I think will also be up on the screen, maybe? Um, Paul says, devote yourselves to prayer with an alert mind and a thankful heart. Pray for us, too, that God will give us many opportunities to speak about his mysterious plan concerning Christ. That is why I'm here in chains. Pray that I will proclaim this message as clearly as I should. Live wisely among those who are not believers and make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversations be gracious and attractive so that you will have the right response for everyone. As the people of Jesus... I see three things that are important for us here. The first is the importance of prayer. And we even preached about it this summer. But Paul says it over and over and over again in this passage. He says, pray with an alert mind. Like, don't be slacking off. Don't be sleeping on the job. Like, pray with an alert mind. Don't be praying with one eye on your phone to make sure no one important is texting you. Um, second of all, he says, pray with a thankful heart. And I, um, I think this is always so convicting to me because my tendency is toward anxiety all the time. And so I think, like, let the gratitude you have for the things God has given you outweigh your anxiety over the things that you don't have or the problems that seem unresolved. So pray with a thankful heart. Pray, third, pray that God will give us opportunities. Um, as we talked about with people of peace, um, not every person is ready to hear about Jesus. And if you push it, it's probably not going to go well. But pray that you would have opportunities, and not only that you would have them, but that you would recognize them, that your eyes would be open to them. Um, and fourth, pray that the message is proclaimed clearly. 
I was encouraged by this, I think especially as I was preparing the sermon, because I'm like, if Apostle Paul says he needs um, prayer for clarity of speech, like, it's okay that I'm a little nervous about getting up here. Because, I mean, he spent his whole life talking about Jesus. That was like pretty much all he did. And so I think if he asks for that, it's okay for us to say, hey, Lord, like, I've got this conversation coming up. I'm not sure how to have it. Would you just give me the words? Would you just speak for me? Would you be present there? So first is the importance of prayer. Second, we need to ask for opportunities to speak about how Christ offers us a way to know God. Um, And again, that's looking for those people of peace and like being willing to live our lives authentically and and with vulnerability in front of other people. And that can be hard. It's easier to kind of act like you've got it together, post the happy things on Facebook and move on. It's a lot harder to say like, hey, I'm having a hard time or this is something I'm walking through or I'm not sure what I think about God in this season because I'm really wrestling with that. And then third, let your words be gracious. And I think whenever I think about graciousness, um, I think about Facebook and I think about how people aren't gracious on Facebook. <laughs> um, and this is, my, this is my issue. When we're known more for our political rants at fa- on Facebook or maybe around the Thanksgiving table than we are about our passion for Jesus, or if we're known for um, our views, like as a, as a church here, which I love, we are a whole spectrum of beliefs on a whole bunch of stuff. And I think that that's probably a picture of heaven um, in its way. But I think when we are more known for those beliefs, whether it's NRA or PETA or uh, Democrat or Republican or uh, whatever those things are, than we are for Jesus, we're known for the wrong things. We have to be known for our passion first. And it's okay to have those opinions. Like, it's okay to think those, to think what you think. But I just want to encourage you that in heaven, there will be a variety of people. There will be Democrats and Republicans. There will be NRA and PETA members, which I, for my father is just as a vet, he just like can't even handle in his life. Um, but you know who won't be in heaven are the people that don't know Jesus. So you can get offended and upset by people who think differently than you, and that's fine. But like, are you upset about the people in your life who don't know him yet? And what are you doing to make that as much of a reality as you can within God's grace? And I just... Um, I want us to be quicker to ask questions and to ask for forgiveness when we mess up than we are to let everybody else know how dumb or ridiculous their opinions are about things. Um, and there is a time and a place for conversations that point out sin. Because I want to, I think some, there's like two extremes I feel like in Christianity. We can either be like, these are all my opinions about things in the world, and if you don't think them, you're an idiot and you hate puppies. Um, or like, over here, like, I'm super offended and hurt by what that person did or said, but I would never tell them. But I will tell three other people about how bad they made me, and maybe if I'm lucky, they'll tell them, and then they'll feel bad. <laughs> um, and I think neither one of those extremes are where Christ wants us to be. So first of all, if, we're gonna, if, we, if we see something in someone's life, and I want to particularly say, like, sin versus preferences— The first thing is we need to say it in relationship, which is why there's like an issue with social media because to say it over that is not the same as like me saying like, hey, Kyle, like that really offended me when you said that. Me writing on Facebook, I can't stand when people do blank, blank, blank. Like, first of all, he might not even read it, so it was kind of a wasted rant. (laughs) And second of all, it doesn't change the reality of our relationship. So it should be face-to-face or I think on the phone and like just seriously don't text or Facebook things that you would never say in person. First of all, it's super hurtful to relationships. And second of all, it's in writing. (laughs) It never goes away. (laughs) You can delete it, but it's not gone. Um, And then third, it should be preceded with a lot of prayer. Like, if you're going to have that conversation, be praying for clarity. Be praying for the right time. Be praying that God would go ahead in the conversation. And really make sure that it includes more questions than statements. 
I think that's the other thing. Like, I can sometimes be the queen of assuming that I know how things are. And I won't, you know, make the joke about assuming, but you know. And so I, I just want to encourage us that we ask questions and that we really ask people, like, is this what, this is how I perceived that this went. Is that what you were thinking? Was that your intention? Or was that just my, my opinion? So uh, when we love the 330, first of all, we go courageously. Secondly, we speak wisely. And third, we live sacrificially. And in 1 Corinthians 10, 33, Paul sums it up. And it's a pretty, like, short little compact verse, but I feel like it has a lot more punch to it. It says, I too try to please everyone in everything I do. I don't just do what is best for me, I do what is best for others so that many may be saved. So for people, like, so for missionaries, or people who are sent around the globe, like Art and Pam, my brother and his family, pretty much everything in their life is a sacrifice, right? They've given up familiar language, they've given up familiar food, they've given up things like air conditioning, which I love, and electricity, and being near their family. Um, their life is pretty much a giant sacrifice. For those of us who live in the United States, I mean, we might have some sacrifices. We might struggle financially. We might have health issues that are impeding us from things. But the reality is most of our life is fairly comfortable and can pretty much be about us. We can decide what we want to eat, where, what of the bajillion restaurants we want to eat at, um, where we want to shop, all those things we pretty much get to decide. So I think the two greater sacrifices for us are time and preferences. Now, I am like... <laughs> the queen of time hoarding. <laughs> when I feel like life is out of control, when my schedule is busy, when I'm going through a hard time, like I just want to like buckle down. I just, I just want my space. I want to be in my house. I want to be alone. I want to be on my couch. Maybe I want to be watching Netflix. Probably should be cleaning, but why don't we watch Netflix? <laughs> um, and so that like is my struggle. My struggle is I can feel like I have a shortage of time and so therefore it's hard for me to give. And you know what I really think God's grace is for me? It's that we're in ministry. And so I don't, get to do that all the time. And that's a good thing for me. Community, I have learned in this season, is so important to me because it draws me out of myself. Like, it keeps me from just seeing God in this tiny box where I'm frustrated, and it helps me know that, you know what, everybody's walking through stuff right now. And we need each other. And that when we walk together, it's a more joyful journey. And it's more, it's just more life-giving. And so I think the first thing that we can um, have to sacrifice is our time. Like, is God asking you to give up some of your time to serve other people or to relationally connect with other people? Or um, what is he asking you about that? Second, I think it's about preferences. And um, this is probably a little more toward millennials. I love you all. I'm married to one. I'm kind of one. I actually found out a couple weeks ago that I have a special name. I'm a Zennial. Um, because I was born between, I looked this up, between 1977 and 1983. I was born in 1980. So we're like our own, we're even more special than millennials, if that's possible. Yeah. Just saying. Um, so, but you all have been kind of raised in like a track. Like you start school and you are just always with the same people kind of your whole life. Like you go to school with your same age and your people, you go to church and you were always with your same age and your same people if you grew up in church. Um, and then it's like, that kind of happens all the way through college, and then all of a sudden, there's like articles written about people, like millennials having to learn to work with like older adults because they've always been with their own age group like their whole lives. Um, and I think sometimes I see that here a little bit, that we can be, and I'll say this too, having grown up everybody in this area, there's sometimes just like relational paths or relational baggage. And that can be hard. Like one of the graces for me is that I have not known any of you before this time, and I only know you like this. So I don't have any preconceived notions of like who you were 
um, which probably also works in our benefit because he's a lot younger. So anyway, <laughs> we're kind of okay with that. Um, and I even know that some of you are hesitant about coming to church because of people who either hold different views or maybe have demeaned or mocked views that you hold highly important or maybe because of um, previous relational things that have happened. But I just want to encourage you that having hope and having grace for one another in community means that we lay down our preferences so that we can know other people and that we can see Jesus in them. And so I want to talk just about a couple things about community. First of all, I think community means 100% kindness and 0% drama. I totally stole that from Bob Goff. Um, so when someone says something that you adamantly disagree with, be kind, politely disagree, but like don't assume again that they like hate puppies and like all cute animals or something. Like I think sometimes we write this narrative that like if they don't agree with me on this issue, then they're probably a terrible person. And I just know that now. You know, like just, just assume the best, like be kind. Second of all, it means learning to appreciate that God is using people different from you. And here's the thing I've had to learn, and this like happens to me all the time. Anytime I have an opinion about someone that's negative, I usually end up like really loving them and then I say to Kyle like, I am the worst. I am the worst person. Because again, I assume things about them and I think that I know them and so therefore I already write the script for our relationship and then the Lord in his goodness makes our paths cross, we hang out and I find out like, oh my gosh, this is what they're walking through. Like this is the reason why sometimes they are prickly or this is the reason why it is uncomfortable because they have some hard stuff they're going through. So on that note, give people another chance. Don't write the script, don't assume that you know like, walk the road, be open to what Jesus might have, and just see where he's going to take you. And fourth, you reap what you sow. I think sometimes we get concerned, Kyle and I, like, is everybody, like, cared for, and are they connecting, and is there relational, like, happiness? And the thing that I kind of have to wrestle with sometimes is, like, I can't, like, make you sow things, so therefore I can't guarantee what you'll reap. And by that, that's like a farming thing, you know, like, you plant seeds, what seed you plant is what you get. So if you plant corn, you get corn. Um, but I think that sometimes I get concerned because in church, especially in America, it's so easy just to come and consume, and we don't necessarily, like, know the people that we're sitting by, and so my encouragement would be to you, I know it's awkward to talk to new people or people you don't know, or maybe you've actually met them so many times it's now awkward because you don't know their name, and you don't know how to ask (laughs) because that's weird, so let's just call a grace period and say, it's fine. Just go up and say, could you help me with your name? Um, And even I think, as I think about next week, is we hopefully will have some visitors Like, only the staff can reach a few people, but with all of you, we all can welcome everyone and make them feel like they belong. And so I just want to encourage you, like, what are you reaping, and and therefore, what are you sowing with your community here at Regen? Like, are you getting to know people? Are you going deeper? And, like, maybe how is the Lord challenging you in that? Um, So my final question with that is just, what preference or comfort is God asking you to give up to sacrifice so that more people in the 330 could know him? And I think um, one of the things I kind of share with Grace is sometimes we feel like when it comes to preferences, like this person wins or I lose, or I lose and they win. And that's not what the point is here. The point is how do more people know about Jesus? So it's not about anybody being right or wrong. It's about making those connections so that they can know him. So we love the 330 when we go courageously, when we speak wisely, when we live sacrificially, and finally when we love deeply. In 1 Thessalonians uh, 2, 7 through 13, It says, For we speak as messengers approved by God to be entrusted with the good news. As apostles of Christ, we certainly had a right to make some demands of you, but instead we were like children among you, or we were like a mother feeding and caring for her own children. We loved you so much that we shared with you not only God's good news, but our lives too. 
Don't you remember, dear brothers and sisters, how hard we worked among you? Night and day we toiled to earn a living so that we would not be a burden to any of you as we preached God's good news to you. You ourselves are our witnesses, and so is God, that we were devout and honest and faultless toward all of you believers. And you know that we treated each of you as a father treats his own children. We pleaded with you, encouraged you, and urged you to live your lives in a way that God would consider worthy, for he called you to share in his kingdom and glory. Therefore, we never stopped thinking, God, that when you received his message from us, you didn't think of our words as mere human ideas. You accepted what we said as the very word of God, which of course it is. And this word continues to work in you who believe. Finally, we love deeply. We talked about last week, too, how it doesn't matter necessarily what you say. It doesn't really matter what you do. It matters how you make people feel and do they know that they're loved. Um, In this passage, Paul compares his love for the church at Thessalonica to, like, a children's love for their parents, for a mother's love for her child, for a father's love for his children. And loving parents will do whatever it takes to put their children first. And so how do we have that heart and that mind for the 330 and for the people who um, our paths cross with? Like, how do we love them deeply? Love means putting others' needs before yourself. Love means being patient with the person in your life who just doesn't understand why church is important to you. Some of you have come from families where it's like, why would you be going to church? Or like, why would you be going to that church? Like, why isn't our church good enough? Or, you know, the mantra. Love means continuing to invite the friend who says they're interested, but they always have a really convenient excuse when you invite them in the Sunday mornings. <laughs> Just continuing to ask. Continue to say, hey, do you want to come? Let me know when you're ready. Love means forgiving the parent or ex or sibling or child who has hurt you repeatedly. And that, that forgiveness doesn't necessarily mean that you reconcile back to that relationship because there can be unhealthiness there, and I'm not saying go back into toxicness. But let, forgive them and let them off the hook in your own heart. Um, because I think we all know it's true, but it really does only hurt you. You're, you holding that against them, they're probably not, they're living their life. And honestly, if they're like a really terrible person, they don't care. So how do you, with Jesus' help, say, I'm going to forgive them, and I'm going to move past this and not let this thing be the thing that controls me? Um, love means living as if it's not about you on a daily basis, so that when you go courageously, you will get the opportunity to speak wisely and to live sacrificially. Loving the 330 and having a missionary heart for it really isn't about what we do. It's about who we are, who we are becoming. Um, in Philippians 2, uh, 5 through 11, um, Paul talks about Jesus. And we're, as the people of Jesus, we're called to be like him in every way. So Paul writes this, You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges, he took the humble position as, of a slave, and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, and in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father." Guys, this is what it's all about, isn't it? It's about everybody knowing Jesus. It's about every tongue declaring his name. It's about every knee bowing. Jesus came so that all people, including those in the 330, could know him. But here's the question. How will they know if you don't go? And how will they know if you don't tell them? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time that we can be together. We thank you for your love for us that sent Jesus to die so that we could know you. And Lord, we thank you um, just for the example that Paul set for us as missionaries. And Lord, I pray for those people who feel like this is just too hard or this is just a little too uncomfortable or I'm just not sure how to start. 
I pray that even this week you would place people in their lives and that they would have eyes to see them, um, not so that they can feel good about who they are, about what they've done, but so that you can be glorified, so that more people can know you. And we ask these things in your name. Amen.